This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you took the time to either listen to this podcast on iTunes or view it on YouTube. The Thrive Podcast can be heard brand new five days a week, Monday through Friday. On Mondays, we have our interview session with interesting individuals about interesting things going on within our community and beyond, and that's what today is going to be about. On Tuesdays through Fridays, we drop worship experiences and Bible studies that we hope prove helpful and beneficial to you. We want to hear from you about how we're doing with the Thrive Podcast. You can email me at fredjeffsmith at cox.net and let us know if you're enjoying the podcast, what things we can do to make it better. I'm delighted today to have uh, with us, I believe for the second time, Reverend Jennifer Jones, who is uh, the Minister of Social Justice Issues here at the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church and also the Executive Director of Shiloh's Charitable Foundation. And uh, in addition to all of the other things that are going on in our community, uh, I wanted Reverend Jones on today to talk about an upcoming social justice summit that we're hosting here at Shiloh. Uh, It'll be on March 22nd and 23rd. uh, That is Friday and Saturday here at the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Reverend Jones, thank you for taking the time to share with us again here on the Thrive Podcast. Thank you, sir, for inviting me. Tell me how everything is going in our community from a social justice perspective. (laughs) You know, it's really an exciting time. There's a lot of um, work going on throughout the community. There's a lot of awareness. Um, The troubling piece of that is that a lot of it is siloed, and by that I mean they're independent groups of people, um, organizations, even churches that are doing things kind of independently but does not necessarily have the capacity to uh, have the kind of impact that we need with the issues that we're concerned about. But there is a lot of, you know, the the upside of that is at one time there was no noise, and now there is noise, there Mm -hmm. is uh, training, there is development, there are people that uh, are really trying to grasp this issue and figure out where they can best serve. Let me ask you a question uh, about the term social justice. Uh, Some people uh, think that the term is new. It isn't. Uh, It's been around for a long time, but its popularity has increased uh, in the last several years. Do you think that the term is overused, is misused? Uh, As someone who has spent a considerable amount of time in her life in the area of social justice, how would you define social justice, and 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 how do you think that it is being uh, approached within our community today? Well, I think there are a number of groups who have used the word, and I wouldn't say overused as much as uh, being misused. Mm-hmm. I think there's not a clear definition. There's not one definition that fits every scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly I've tried to be able to uh, define it in such a way, especially for people of faith, 
to help them understand certainly this is not anything new and it didn't come about with Barack Obama's presidency. Correct. <laughs> Correct. As, as an organizer, but uh, the example for us in social justice is Jesus himself. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's really about fairness. It's about equity. It's mm -hmm. about distribution of wealth. Mm -hmm. um, it's about um, justice as relates to individuals in society. It's about how marginalized folk are treated. Um, and it's about them stepping up and recognizing how God created us all to be equal and to have access. Uh, and this is the thing that I think, depending on where you are, uh, some folk use it, it to their advantage to continue to marginalize folk. Right. And, and others use it uh, as an advantage to for whatever they're working on or whatever they want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Then they put that brand on it mm -hmm. that then turns some folk off. You yeah. know, it's 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 like everything is about socialism and yeah. and certainly it's not. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it troubling uh, when supposedly Christian folk mm -hmm. uh, speak negatively towards the whole concept of social justice. And a lot of that has been going on here of late, not just on a national level, but uh, certain local pastors uh, have have spoken uh, in a negative way toward social justice, suggesting uh, that social justice has nothing to do with the gospel, which... I find it incredulous that somebody can make that statement. Uh, if you know anything about Jesus, then you know that Jesus was the social justice advocate. Uh, uh, but uh, I find that the breakdown tends to be along racial lines mm -hmm. and along political sure. lines. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you see with regard to that? Well, one of the ways that I uh, try to define social justice is some folk, especially in the faith community, because as you know, I've done faith-based community organizing for probably the last 30 years, uh, understanding the power of the church, but having a perspective that social justice is really um, the gospel in action. Uh, some of um, my colleagues or those uh, clergy folk that uh, we talk about often, even in, in their writings, uh, but even those in our local community, mm -hmm. uh, some of the comment, one of the comments that I often hear is that social justice doesn't save you. Well, certainly I think we're all astute and aware of that. Right. But being saved then calls us to action. Yes. That represents all people. And in a way that justice and the Bible speaks over and over about justice. So um, that's one of the challenges that, that we often run into. Mm -hmm. And even folk within our church, uh, I often hear from folk in the community as we move around. And certainly even sometimes in our congregation, I'm not into that social justice stuff. So then I begin to ask them about Medicare and Social Security. I begin to ask them about health, you know, their health care. Yeah. Begin to ask them about quality education. I begin to ask them about equal pay. And I can go on and on with issues. And then they say, oh. Yeah. You know, and then it yeah. makes sense. Like a light them. turns on. Yeah, it turns on for them. I yeah. begin to ask them about the mission work that we do here. And rather than just how we respond um, in a minimal way financially, but something that we've done historically in this church over 40-some years, mm -hmm. that we have to not only continue to do that, but we have to ask why does it exist that right. way. Right, and why does it continue to and exist? why does it continue and why is the chasm uh, so wide yes. now? And why... Uh, does uh, why 
are there many churches in this community, very wealthy uh, churches, that don't offer those kind of services right. because they don't see the value of that. Right. And when you mentioned it, uh, sometimes it goes along racial lines. Surely it does, because when you look at the city of Baton Rouge and when you look at the disparity of, uh, between uh, wages, when you think about the leadership in our community, when you think about the state of Louisiana, there's not an African American in a statewide elected office in the state of Louisiana. Right. And I could go on and on, but sometimes when you have the opportunity to try and share that with folk, they get a better concept of it and then begin to want to figure out how to get engaged. So in your work, as you said, you, you, you've devoted decades of your life to this work. You you have a front row seat of what's going on in Baton Rouge. Is there a model somewhere in the country that Baton Rouge could learn from it, 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 or, or a conglomerate of models, if not a single one? There are a number of national organizations that, that do organizing. And uh, what I say to folk all the time, anybody who's doing good organizing, mm -hmm. uh, and when I mean good organizing, I'm not talking about corralling folk. I'm talking about teaching and training and developing and providing folk with tools that they can do for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I know, um, of course, the, a lot of the social justice work I think I was doing before I was called to ministry, but I very early saw um, the impact that organizing could have and really saw organizing for me as a ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so I began to research and I, I, I found a number of different uh, organizing entities on a national level trying to figure out how it was moving and addressing some of the issues that certainly concerned us. So there are a, a, a number of models out there. The one thing that I say to anybody that asks me about organizing is uh, I don't want uh, Organizing has to be something that allows you to bring your voice and your agenda to the table, mm -hmm. provide you with the skills and the tools to be able to address them, mm -hmm. not to be window dressings in anybody's organization. Right. So to say, are there particular groups? Certainly I've organized in, in um, a national model. Of, at one point it was called PICO, and of course now it's Faith in Action, but right. there are others out there. Uh, I give credit to anybody that's doing some organizing, but the people who come to the table are the folk that I want to make sure. And I, I, I fought for 30 years plus, even in the organizing uh, entity that I was a part of, to make sure that equity existed there. Sure. You know. Um, so that, because even within the organization, within the structure, oh, yeah, there, yeah. There, there, are, there are problems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And interesting, that interesting doing, point. Uh, yeah. uh, very good work. Um, you know, uh, an example is that when I initially started organizing, um, it was a primarily Catholic organization, mm -hmm. right? But much of the work that they were doing was in the African-American community, mm -hmm. uh, which I had an appreciation for because I also did uh, some of our social service work here, and it was always um, an appreciation I had for our Catholic brothers and sisters right. because they paid particular attention to helping marginalized and poor folk right. in terms of helping to buy medicine, pay rent, and uh, do a number of things that I thought was helpful. But uh, when I got to that table and I was just trained that way, is I've always, in, when invited to a table, wanted to know, uh, pay attention to who wasn't there. 
and who was being served mm-hmm. and who was being in le- and mm-hmm. who was in leadership. Mm-hmm. So for you know, it took a little time, and uh, then we had to make sure that it was representative of the people in which we serve. Right. So we had to begin to uh, create an environment and provide some uh, a movement rather around how do we get folk to the table in leadership that yeah. that looked like you know looked like me. And then why aren't we particularly looking at issues that are pertinent to and important to black folk? Are you suggesting that we are invited to a table that's already been set? Oh, yeah. As opposed to being invited to help set the table? Yeah, that's uh, what much of my fight is about Mm -hmm. these days in terms of helping folk with a lot of anger about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Don't wait till the table is already set to get to the table if you think you're going to change the agenda. Uh, I credit your father and others like Reverend Mayor Moody and others across the country who I've had some experience with who always said, if you want to change something, you're going to have to be at the table. And not once the table is set. Right. But while you're trying to design a, a, or create the table so that it, it can be equitable and it can meet the needs of all of the people, not some, not just who you represent. Yeah. I have served on various boards over the span of of years, Uh, served on food bank boards, served with certain committees within United Way, served uh, with uh, uh, helpers for housing and and things of of that sort. One of the uh, frustrations that I have found is that those who serve on the boards are not us. And yet those that they seek to serve are us. Mm -hmm. And when you sit around the table and listen to discussions about us Mm -hmm. by people who are not us, their preconceptions that they bring with them to the table are so far removed from the reality of what is that even though they have a desire to do good work, they don't know how to do it, yeah. and 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 they are frustrated by the fact that their efforts uh, seem to uh, not be maximized. When really it's because they didn't bother to talk to the people Surely. who were most in need of the services. Uh, how do we re-educate? Uh, leadership within our communities, mm-hmm. total leadership within mm-hmm. our communities. Our, our people need to be at the table. We need to insist on being at the table. We need to make inroads to be at the table. But at the same time, we also need those who are currently at the table to have a better sense of who it is that they're seeking to serve. What, what do you think we need to be doing to make those things happen? Well, there's a couple of things I lift up. You know, I think it's really about worldview. And, and uh, when I say that, it's what a person brings to that table. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of folk that uh, we don't think alike about a whole bunch of things. But what I've come to realize is that that doesn't make that person sinister. Right. They bring who they are, the world that they were uh, brought up in. Right. And they don't actually see us sometimes, a good bit of the time. And they have all of the good intentions. Yes. But, um, one of the things I'd lift up is that, and, and, and I don't want to call these older politicians' name, and I think uh, several of them have already gone home to be with the Lord, but they talk about the time of being invited to the table, and they got so excited about being at the table, 
and that was all they were at right. the table, right? Right. Um, I think that what we have to help, uh, what we have to realize is that every time we go to the table and uh, or invited to the table, or if we intrude, <laughs> to, and, and 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 sometimes that's what sometimes it is—an intrusion. What it actually takes to make happen, we have to be careful of. Um, Getting so excited about just that, you know, mm-hmm. being the the usual suspect who gets to be invited on every board because they figured out that we're not going to reach across the table and grab each other. But what we do have to do is understand that when we get to the table, each one of us is bringing our full self. Um, and sometimes those experiences look totally different because they might want to do something. And an example of that is they might want to change a certain part of the community. Mm-hmm. And I'll use those South Baton Rouge as an example okay. of that. Um, they had good intentions when they wanted to change downtown. But you had LSU on this end, who was landlocked, and then you had the north side of Baton Rouge, right? Right. So folk who were at the table uh, primarily were folk who were interested in downtown development, right? right? Uh, with a hope of being able to connect LSU. But uh, part of the conversation as myself and some others were at that table began to talk about, well, what are you going to do about Old South Baton Rouge? What are you going to do about... And then they began to talk about it as if it's something that we'll get to later. Right, right. (laughs) Because they didn't know how to deal with that. They Mm -hmm. didn't know the history that uh, say myself and others in this community knew Mm -hmm. and was able to share. All they knew is that they could not attract uh, African-American folk uh, to the table um, at they didn't know how to have an appreciation for the anger uh, and disappointment of how certain parts of the community had been left out and didn't have the kind of resources that they needed. Right. And over here, you had all kind of resources, and you had the best talent and thinking about how to actually make that happen. Yeah. So that's a couple of things that has to happen there. One is that we've got to um, not always want to wait to get invited. Sometimes we have to pay attention. I always tell folk that they need to be at the Planning and Zoning Commission. They mm-hmm. need to know about uh, building and development and all these other things that's happening in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and folk talk about gentrification all the time. Right. That's something you allow to happen to you. Right. But there are also I ways agree. that you can participate in it. Yes. But you can't get to the table late when all of the lots and everything is bought up and you had nothing to do or say about how any of that was happening. Right. So you can't blame anybody all the time for not inviting you. There's some folk, um, you know, even as you go to the city council meeting, I was there the other day and it was amazing to me how there's some folk who just go to the city council meeting to raise hell and speak out against anything that actually goes on. Right. And it's something that we have we're privy to we can do that as well but sometime unless it's an issue that um, some other folk kind of lift up and you know there's to be some confusion around it but you've got to be smarter we've got to be smarter than that we've got to pay attention and it's enough of us and um, to be able to do that. As, as we turn our attention to the summit that Shiloh is sponsoring uh, on the 22nd and the 23rd, uh, there are a number of compelling speakers and a number of compelling topics uh, that we're going to uh, be dealing with. And I was curious as to, I, I know that there was a, a lot of thought that went into this planning process from a number of different uh, people, some members of the church, some members of the larger 
community. How did you all arrive at the topics that will be discussed uh, at this summit? Well, you know, from my perspective, one of the things that uh, we wanted to do as we looked at uh, the power of of women in particular and the way the women conferences have uh, generally gone on, not just here at Shiloh, but um, in the faith community and mm -hmm. even some of the other things that are going on in the political arena because of uh, the number of women who are now in politics and the Stacey Abrams and uh, mm -hmm. all of those kind of things, uh, but also in uh, local office, uh, political offices in our uh, in our city and, and throughout the state of Louisiana. But more importantly, the importance of uh, not only the intrinsic value, but what women bring to the table, and then the faith dynamic of that, the praying woman. And we wanted to lift that up. And mm -hmm. what we did was to try to bring a collective group of women from across our faith community, but also in our Greek organizations, uh, in the political arena, um, women who are not engaged or involved in a lot of things, but mm -hmm. uh, they move their communities in extraordinary wa ways whose names don't often get called. And we figured out a way, if we got to a table together, we could come up with the things that were most important. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I was aware of, that across the country I had some former, well, some colleagues that even until today that I still interact with that had been a part of some movements uh, that uh, brought tremendous change in community. And then others were uh, engaged uh, locally around a lot of things as you know as it relates to health and education and right. finance and all of the things that we're going to be lifting up at our, co our conference um, our keynote speaker which is dr. Cassandra Gould is coming to us by way of uh, Jefferson Missouri but was very instrumental in the uh, Mike Brown piece um, just by uh, being a clergy person who wanted to go out and help young folk who had taken to the streets and in a very dangerous way. And we all know that story. Right. And she did do that. But uh, there was a lot of things that happened that I thought was very interesting that would have some merit in our thinking to help us to think about how we move forward and how what kind of tools will we need and what kind of process uh, mm -hmm. was put in place to, to help make that happen. Uh, I recall going to Ferguson myself just to take a look at it and see how we could be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I immediately saw the divide. I saw a bunch of angry young folk, millennials and others who were out on the street. Um, and uh, the anger demonstrated a lot of things. But then there was a, a, the way that they were responded to that was really troubling to all of us, even as we watched it on our television sets. But the clergy went out, and uh, they got some pushback because mm -hmm. the young folk felt like they had been sold out by clergy. But instead, um, what they began to ask as there was a conversation, what do you need from us? Right. They, they say, we need you to teach us. Right. We need you to protect us. We need you to walk with us. Yeah. And as a result of that, that was something that I thought that uh, happened that you'll be able to share in greater detail for us. But um, even in responding to them, she was able to begin and others to have conversations around what it would mean to the things that you're fighting against. How, how do we change some of those? Mm -hmm. And one of the ways is, if you remember, there was a DA who was just blatantly racist and uh, uh, th they, along with other leadership, began to call in the military and some of everybody else. Um, 
But four years later, as they began to plan, and uh, she'll talk more about the process, they now have a different DA who was somebody who had very little money, who looks like you and I, right. um, that young folk helped to uh, make that change. Right. That was a demonstration to them of their power, and it was also a demonstration to older folk that it's, it, it is possible. We just don't have to accept what is. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the, the persons. The other is a young woman out of Florida who has been a part of and really the impetus to uh, why now 1.6 million Re returning citizens, folk who had been arrested, served their time, right. who were parole, off of parole, who did not have the right to vote. And now they do. Yes. They have the right to vote as a result of uh, her involvement along with many others. And then we're bringing in a young woman out of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, who was a part of the Doug Jones piece. Just to, you know, how do you change uh, a red state? Like Louisiana, right? Um, that was a demonstration of what's possible if, in fact, and they give credit to. Now, what I do want to say about their examples, which I think is very pertinent to what we need to be paying attention to, there was no one organization, no one group, and it wasn't just about women, right? But it was coalition building, and women just uh, have a nature of being able to do that. That's how we kind of keep families together, right? And keep churches together. So we bring something pretty special to that. And then the, the faith dynamic, the power of praying women. You hear um, even at football and basketball, when these young African-American men get a chance to say something, they credit their mother. And I'm not saying dad is not praying, right? but they can remember what it means to have a praying mother that Absolutely. prays them through um, uh, certain situations as they grow and some of the meager environments that they were brought up in. So that's kind of the beginning of where uh, the crux of our speakers are going to come from. Mm -hmm. But the other piece is that we brought millennials, as I say, and uh, we brought folk that were engaged. Matter of fact, there are a number of our uh, African-American um, female officials who are uh, honorary co-chairs. So they will be there. They're responsible. They're supporting. Their ideas are there. They're not coming to uh, tell us to vote for them next time. They're coming right. because they have similar problems. They have similar concerns. Right. So uh, that's how we came up with some of the topics. One is that we need to be more financially secure. Mm -hmm. Our young folk need to know that it's not just about how you look on the outside, but uh, you know what you got in the bank, how right. you can pay your bills, what, right. what you need to do, uh, and how do you create wealth as a young person. Yeah. There's some folk who've been around a little bit that might have $5 more than what they need right now, can teach them how to get that $5 and kind of hold on to it. Um, when we talk about the raw woman, we're wanting uh, women in particular to understand, no matter where they are, that God created them and there's something special to the Lord. And there, every now and then we, we wait until Women's Day to lift that up. But I believe that this conference is going to lift this up um, through the entire piece and provide tools for folk to leave with. So we added on to not only being the raw women, but what does it mean to be a raw woman that watches, fights, and pray. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yes. So watch it uh, simply means how you're going to pay attention to everything that's going on and be a part of that mm -hmm. as it relates to social justice, as it relates to equity and fairness. The other is how not only do we watch, but that we're willing to fight. And now we fight in many ways. There's a mm -hmm. whole lot of ways we can fight. You can fight with a walker. 
That's true. <laughs> you can fight with the telephone. Yeah. You can fight with just your ministry of presence, but you can also fight by being knowledgeable of all that's going on and share what you know, and then build a bridge that engages all of the women in our community. The other piece is that we're going to have some women that are already in business, mm -hmm. that are entrepreneurs, that are doing amazing work that uh, have come across ways to get beyond the challenges that uh, black women face as relates to the lack of capital and mm -hmm. support from the black community, I might say, mm -hmm. that we want to be able to lift up. The other piece is that everybody's trying to get healthy. I shared uh, recently about having a blood pressure I hadn't had in the last 30 years of 130 over 60, so I'm really excited about that. But that took a whole lot of twists and turns <laughs> for me to get to that place, and I don't have time to tell you that story. But uh, our younger folk um, are trying to... Uh, through exercise and a lot of other things that they're engaged in that we really didn't have time for uh, in the future or take the time for to learn how to eat healthy. Um, and we want to lift that up and help women understand how important that is to be healthy, to do the work that needs to be done. The others are millennials, and, I, and I'm so excited about that uh, because that's a challenge. That's a it challenge is. for us who have grandchildren and children. It's a challenge for the church because they don't, um, their presence in our churches are not as uh, present as we would like that to, them to be. Many of us, and, and we keep saying this, uh, that we didn't have a choice about going to church. Right. Well, many of them do have choices now, yes. and, and, and they're making decisions uh, that I don't know is as healthy as it could be. Mm -hmm. But for me to sit back and say, you ought to come because it's the right thing to do, no, we need to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. They need to see the value of who we are in terms of bringing wisdom and some other things, and we need to be able to listen at them. We mm -hmm. need to be able to listen at each other. Mm -hmm. So trying to uh, bridge the gap is a conversation that our millennials are, try, uh, are beginning to have. And it's amazing. They can, um, uh, in planning this conference, they are so technology savvy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sometimes they get frustrated with us who may have the equipment and don't know how to use it. But that's just an example of the many gifts and talents that we all have. Yeah. And we have to figure out how to use it and take advantage of that. Yeah then it's important that we advocate for public ed for education. And I want to say not just public education. We've got to pay attention to what's going on in these charter schools and uh, all of these other places that our kids are able to get everything that they need. Mm -hmm. um, a young woman contacted me just on uh, yesterday around uh, the recent killing and the the young woman and man that was in it was former students who were troubled students who she's, her question was, could we have done more? Mm -hmm. And she answered herself, and she said we could if we would have had the resources to be able to do that. Right. That the kind of evil that they saw apparent, that was part of the mental health issue and some other things that um, we have to pay particular attention to. So we want to talk about that. And finally, as I alluded to when I talked about our speakers, is how do we change the political landscape? Mm -hmm. Why is it that most of us think that uh, it's impossible to get a statewide elected African-American official. Mm -hmm. Why is it that uh, the leadership in our community around a lot of things, and I'm not talking about just entitled, because sometimes they will put and place African-American folk in particular uh, positions, but give them no power. Right. And we help them 
take the power from them. Right. So how do we change the political landscape that it serves all of the people? And that's back to what social justice is about. Mm-hmm. Not just some, but something for everybody. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about it. That Friday night, we're going to have an exciting worship experience. Um are we going to have a community choir? Uh, we're going to have preaching and teaching. We've got a young woman who's going to read a poem that uh, she herself has written that's going to lift up some young folk. And uh, I'm getting calls uh, from a little bit of everywhere. I've had to say to some folk, uh, for those who may not be able to afford it, we've had some generous donors who want to provide scholarships. So we want this door open for everybody. And I'm just excited about what God's going to do that night. And uh, I've had some fellows who uh, said, well, why is it just for women? So what I've had to say to them, this is not about you against us. It's about us doing something together. And Friday night is open to everybody. So we want everybody to come. We want anybody, male or female, to come in on Friday night and help us usher in the spirit of the Lord so that on uh, Saturday morning we go in and we are provided with the kind of tools and interaction and networking and coalition building that's going to begin to change this community in ways that it has never before. That's a mouthful. You, yeah. And, and, and I wanted you to, to, to get all of that out because mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be an exciting uh, experience uh, for our church. We're, we're delighted to be able to host it mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and for the larger community as well. But I keyed on something that you said back a couple of paragraphs ago mm-hmm. when you talked about your visit to Ferguson. Yeah. And you talked about the the distinctive the the distinctions in how you all were received mm-hmm. based upon the age of the individuals that you were mm-hmm. dealing with that millennials felt like the church had abandoned mm-hmm. them. I don't want to be in the position of being uh uh the the apologist for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's a lot about the church that that needs improvement uh, with regard to social justice and political issues and what have you. But the flip side of that is these millennials who are so critical of the church mm-hmm. in, in 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 many instances are absent from the church. Right. And the only time that they that they are interested in the church is when an issue comes up and then they want to be critical of what the church is not Mm -hmm. doing. Uh, And it's problematic for me to listen to people who don't go to church, who have no association with the church, who are literally generations removed from the church, Mm -hmm. who when given the opportunity, say, well, the church isn't doing what it's supposed to. All they want to do is take your money and, and, and come have you uh, fill up their pews on Sunday morning, but they're not interested in what's going on here in the streets. It's a stereotype at this point. It it's a cliche mm-hmm. at this point, and it is wholly inaccurate. It is. I am not saying that every local congregation is doing what it should do or what it could do, but I'm saying that far more are doing... Uh, 
great work in their communities, mm-hmm. uh, unsung work, grunt work yeah. uh, within their communities that are making their communities better. And they don't do it looking for trophies or looking for plaques or looking for accolades from the community. They do it because they recognize that it's their responsibility to do it. How do we dispel the myth? And and, and what can we do to, to draw millennials back to the church? So um, an example for you is when, of course, uh, we had the police shooting and um, the disturbances that we've had here in Baton Rouge and we had the riots and right. all that was going on. And uh, a lot of our young folk, as I was uh, trying to listen and figure out ways that we could actually help them, the anger that they had was similar to what we experienced in Ferguson. Right. And part of that is the misconception of what they think the church is and ought to be doing, mm-hmm. uh, not what they should contribute to it, uh, what they can get from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there has to be an open line of communication. And it's hard sometimes because uh, uh, sometimes they can be very dis- disrespectful and condescending. Mm-hmm. And that's on both sides. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have to, to work at being able to create that uh, environment that's conducive to a, uh, a discussion where respect is on the table. Right. Okay. So uh, our young folk were saying, well, we don't know where the clergy are. We don't see any of them. Well, I made it clear that, you know, my days of marching <laughs> was over. I'm trying to catch my breath right. and, and see what I can do. But I could be of tremendous value to you if we had a conversation. And I began to have a conversation with them around clergy in this community who have literally put their lives on the line to make sure that they were protected, even though they didn't always see us walking out with the collar around our neck. Right. Um, now, you had some folk who were out there who wanted to make sure that they were seeing and that the absence of what they thought other, where others were um, could continue to divide rather than bring us together. Right. So I think that there's some work that we have to do. And part of this millennial um, um, group that's working with us, they're begging for a deeper conversation. Um, and the, they don't want it just to be to come for help from the church. They want to be part of helping shaping um, the culture of who they are now mm-hmm. and bring that into the church. Now, that looks different in a number of ways. Um, for a while, I, I think most pastors thought that meant changing the music mm-hmm. or um, changing the way they preached mm-hmm. and some other things. I think they want some leadership. They, mm-hmm. they, they want some uh, development. They want some opportunity. They don't have to. Uh, they don't want to have to wait till so and so dies before they can be uh, part of something, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they want to be able to bring their ideas. That they're not. Uh, it's not thus that they want to necessarily say that my ideas are nothing. We have to, in a collective way, figure out how to genuinely, but uh, be willing to help make some concessions as it relates to how we do church. Yeah. Uh, I I agree with that. Uh, I also recognize the fact that in many ways I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth because Mm -hmm. while I'm asking uh, where are the millennials when it comes to the traditional church, I recognize that I have 
absented myself from traditional church organizations, mm-hmm. uh, Fourth District Missionary Baptist mm-hmm. Association, Louisiana Baptist State mm-hmm. Convention, and I have been chided for that by the person who's sitting across from me, mm-hmm. not to mention my father uh, before he died, that, he, you know, what you said earlier, you have to be at the table in order to to conduct change. Uh, so I, I understand that there's a certain degree of duplicity in, in, in the fact that I'm the one who's asking the question. But I do recognize that, that there are problems uh, with messaging uh, from the traditional church mm-hmm. in a contemporary world. Uh, and it's hard to figure out how to make square pegs fit into round mm-hmm. holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my frustration stems from the fact that uh, our larger organizations, our, our, our affiliations uh, are locked into a structure uh, that does not allow for change uh, and, and eschews anything that is considered by a certain minority to be modern and contemporary. And uh, I, I find that frustrating. And I guess the flip side of that is many of our children find the same things when they come to their local church. So beyond what happens on Sunday morning uh, or what happens in a, in a typical Bible study period, summits like this are extremely important because it gives us an opportunity to talk to one another on a different level. That's the whole point behind this this podcast. We, we started this because I wanted to have different kinds of conversations than the ones that we typically have. So coming out of this summit, more than just the imparting of, of relevant information, I would imagine that there would be a call to action. What call to action is it that, that, that you would hope would come from this? The one thing that uh, is hopeful for me is that we're, we're going to, they will leave just not with the interaction and the networking, but they will lead with the toolkit around some things that they could use in their ministries or uh, in their communities, even with their families. The essence of what, I, of what we hope can happen is that they can see the value of coalition building, mm-hmm. which means that they can have all of these separate entities or whatever. But one example of that would be uh, the get out the vote work that we did um, for the 2018 election, right? So we did the souls to the polls. What if all of those organizations that participate in this summit decide that that might be one thing that they, that they want to do, is to make sure that if it's their congregation, that it's a, a congregation that votes 100 percent, right? Um, if it's a Greek organization mm-hmm. uh, or any nonprofit organization mm-hmm. or just a family, if they want to take the responsibility of making sure that everybody in their family, how that in itself would address some of the issues that we're concerned about mm-hmm. around education and health care and some of these other things. The possibilities of it, we're going to put some options out there and then do a call to action to keep them actively engaged mm-hmm. and to keep them, uh, have them to the place where they can see what it actually means for millennials and, and, and I don't know all of these different Gen X's and, right. uh, you know, the baby boomers and how do these people connect and how do, how is that value in that? Mm-hmm. And then how do we then begin to have broader conversations that sometimes are absent from the church? You don't hear a lot about wealth building in the church, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't hear a lot about, um, 
home ownership in the church. Mm-hmm. Our young folk need to be able to uh, participate in that. You know, some of us, once we get of an age, we've, we've been through some of that. Right. And we kind of understand that process. These young folk trying to figure out how to pay their bills along with trying to be dressed up right. and riding well right. and paying, you know, costs. So all of that lends into. So our call to action is really about us coming together across all of these things that tend to separate us. Mm-hmm. And there's some amazing things that we will lift up in each one of those workshops. And even as our um, speakers um, lift up what possibly can happen around changing the, the landscape of what's going on in our communities, that's the call to action, to move into action right. in ways that they've never even imagined could actually happen that will take all of us where we never thought we could go. Is it possible to transform a community from a political perspective uh, without reaching across the aisle and talking to people, uh, engaging in, in, in substantive conversations with people who are of a different political persuasion, uh, a different economic uh, background, a different academic background from yourself. Are, are we guilty, and I'm not talking about this summit, but I'm talking about Baton Rouge. Are we guilty of talking more to ourselves than talking to one another? Um, you know the answer to that. Well, I, I, I was just trying to, Let me to just say, foster a conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's so true. One of the things that we've got to recognize is that <clears throat> as, as we are lifting up African-American folk, and we actually need to do that, um, we have to understand that they have one vote. And I'll give you an example, the city council around some recent work that uh, we, we have been uh, paying particular attention to. Uh, the numbers on the city council, if we just look at those, we'd understand that there's we, we don't have a whole lot of leverage, right? right? Right. Um, so we need to be able to have conversation with others on the city council as well. Right. Right. Uh, and that's not just for the city council. That's for the legislature. The that's school board. School board. Any where they elected officials. Right. We want to, uh, if we're talking about change. Right. We're going to have to be able to uh, build a kind of relationships that allow us to come to some medium and to learn how to work together around some things. Uh, and, and, and I want to go a little bit farther on that, is that that means that it's not about just uh, Democrats and Republicans. It's about black and white. It's about rule parts of our state yes. and parts of our cities. It's about folk in North Baton Rouge yes. wanting certain things. They're going to have to... Unfortunately, you know, we talk about St. George a whole lot, right. and we ought to be talking about St. George, but is there a conversation between St. George and uh, North Baton Rouge? And I think both sides of that, mm-hmm. there's some influence around that, because mm-hmm. if you really got to the crust of things, to the, to the um, why it's as it is, we probably want the same thing, but we have to approach it in a different way. We probably could get more if there was a bigger conversation. Right. And that's got to happen. And I hope that, no, we're not going to change unless we begin to do that. Right. The dialogue uh, uh, process uh, is slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
it can go on for years before you see any any real it's incremental let, let me just put it that way mm-hmm. the the change that takes place is incremental uh, we're dealing with, with with generation you're talking about millennials mm-hmm. uh, generation X Y and Z and I don't know mm-hmm. what the next one is going to be yeah. called after that uh, that are increasingly impatient mm-hmm. uh, and and are not really willing to do the work in order to bring about the change that uh, needs to take place. Uh, Is there a way that, that we can help these generations that are coming behind us to recognize the need to slow down Mm -hmm. as they try to impress upon us the need to speed up? Is there a medium that can be found in all of this? I think one of the things that we do when we talk about change is that we go to this ultimate uh, goal that we're trying to reach rather than having some benchmarks going along the way. Now, we can't wait over here to say that we've had a success. We should have success all along the way. The other thing is that we always want to... The word process is something that folk don't have patience for. But even as we talked about these speakers... That was over a period of years, right? Right. But part of being over a period of years, there were tremendous things that happened every year, and mm-hmm. sometimes even more than that, simply by them focusing on something bigger than any of them by themselves, organizations or individuals could have actually made happen. Mm-hmm. Part of that is that we don't spend a lot of time, other than Black History Month, <laughs> talking about the tremendous amount of work, change, and success that we've had as African-American folk. Yes. And then even as we move forward, we don't talk about what that looks like uh, as we do that with others. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we're getting ready to uh, be a part of and the grand opening of what's going to happen over here at the Electric Depot. Right. right? And you know how long that has, yes. <laughs> has taken us to get there, right? Yes. But at the end of the day, that's going to be something just an event in the community that I think that could be celebrated in a way that uh, unusual suspects came together to create something that we can all benefit from. And along the way, we've been able to have success that folk could appreciate and see mm-hmm. and hope for when that actually happens. And that's just one example of it. But if you can just think about the many th- little things that go on in our community that we don't even highlight, many things that go on in our churches right. that we don't highlight. Right. I mean, here we are with a daycare that's how have been in existence 47 how years. How many children do we have and we still have a waiting list? Yes. And the quality of education and where some of our graduates has gone, all of those kind of things. And that's what our young folk have to see. And I think we, as older folk, have a responsibility of keeping that in front of them. And I don't want to say slow them down because, see, they they have access to so much that we didn't. You know, uh, an example of that is all this technology, you mm-hmm. know, Google and, and and all of these other things that now they can do much more research. They can bring people together a lot quicker than we can. Mm-hmm. So rather than say slow them down, let us try to figure out how if we can move faster, how do we help them to get engaged and involved in helping us see how to make that happen and then taking the wisdom of we have of warning them about trying to short-circuit the process. Mm -hmm. And I think something amazing can happen. 
as well, a result of that. When I say slow down, I want them to be more thoughtful mm-hmm. rather than reactive. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's just when it reaches my desk. Uh, quite often, by the time people come in to talk to me uh, about certain issues that are taking place within a community, it's a reaction mm-hmm. and not a thought process. You know, I, 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 too, value uh, the, the, the importance of the whole concept of process mm-hmm. and, and of collective thinking around an issue. Uh, I'm sometimes disappointed that I, I, I don't sense that there's a lot of thinking but more reacting to things. And I think that that that's the negative byproduct of this onslaught of information. We we are so overwhelmed with information that that, that we just react without really going through the process. We we have assigned guilt and innocence to people uh, not knowing anything about Mm -hmm. what's going on. The the Jesse Smollett uh, incident that happened recently, uh, people took sides immediately based upon an initial report and it was only after getting more information Mm -hmm. that that we began to realize that perhaps uh, the positions that we took were not uh, the best ones Mm -hmm. to take and to me that that that's a perfect example of of reacting rather than thinking Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. and and I get concerned that there's too much of the former and not enough of the latter. I agree with you 100% on that, Um, the way that I think that we need to begin to look at that. And, of course, I think, uh, to your credit, you do a marvelous job in terms of talking about the social justice issues and uh, doing it from a historical perspective and bringing it to what is and what's current right now. Uh, that's forcing people to think. Uh, I hear over and over again, not just from your sermons, but a lot of what's in our bulletin around the social justice piece that provokes people to have to think a little bit deeper and do a little bit of research. So I think that's where we begin to to do that. Um, And not only do you do it in the context of what's going on in our community, but then you tie it to Scripture, um, and, and, and they are able there, and, and, and even as you give examples of, of how that actually happened, where it wasn't just a response, it was thought out. Right. Uh, and that's what we have to put before, you know, critical thinking, uh, as they talk about in the school system, that should be being taught. Yeah. It's yes. not necessarily being taught. Yes. Um, so we have to help them actually do that. Um, this, this thing of everything being black and white, you know, even as it relates to all of these candidates that are now running uh, in the Democratic field and um, folk are looking for you to pick a candidate. I don't know enough about anybody to say that that person is bringing to the table what I think that they can bring. And I'm not waiting on them to go to Iowa (laughs) (laughs) uh, for Iowa to tell me how I'm going to vote. But the more information that we present to folk Mm -hmm. and the more we challenge them around their thinking, what we can't do is just jump on bandwagon. Right. You know, right. Uh, and the more we do that, I think that's what's going to be helpful. That example with Justice Mullet is an excellent example, but it's it's with anything, you know, uh, the politics of what goes on in our community, uh, the lack of investment that goes on in our community. You know, right now, everybody um, 
in particular, and, and I was one of them in the beginning, as I heard some statistics about 70% of African-American folk live on the other side of Florida Boulevard. And it was evident to me that there was a lack of investment. Right. So there's some interesting things happening now right. on the other side of uh, So I can either continue to stay in, in that piece of just talking about uh, how bad it is yeah. uh, and not understanding the process or the fact that maybe I don't know everything that's going on. Yeah on the north side yeah. that I might be able to contribute to and help to enhance. Yeah. So that's the kind of thinking that we've got to put before our folk. And we have to create these kind of environments as a summit and other things that's going on to bring people together to have those bigger discussions. In addition to the work that you're doing around this summit, you you have ongoing work, not just here at Shiloh, but you're doing ongoing work with other churches within our community, holding meetings, holding conversations, uh, helping to organize uh, those congregations as well so that uh, it's not a singular uh, entity. It's, it's not just Shiloh that is doing this, but other churches within our community. Talk about that work that, that you're doing and, and, and what, what benefits you're seeing from that. Well, what's amazing to me, um, when people are in relationship with each other and when people get the tools that they need, uh, they're eager to move. They, they want to bring about change. They don't necessarily know how to do that. Uh, one of the advantages that we have here is that of having uh, a social justice ministry that's not an auxiliary or an independent ministry. It's the philosophy of liberation theology yes. that this church has embraced. Yes. Right? And in doing that, there are other partners within the community um, that have similar kind of work that's going on. But what has been exciting for me is to be able to gather with a number of pastors who um, want to to move collectively in ways. They want their independence as churches. Certainly they, they need to have that. But there are some things that's bigger than us, you know, like I uh, made reference to I get out the vote. There were a number of churches that were engaged and involved in that. But right. We had to, um, we needed a base to, to work from to be able to do that successfully. So we were able to hold workshops uh, with independent churches and leaders and develop them. It's kind of the train the trainer piece. Mm -hmm. It's not going to do Shiloh any good just to be doing this by itself. I agree. We're talking about a community. Yeah. We're talking about a state. We're really talking about a nation right. uh, where our families can be stronger and the more that we can can engage folk around that. And it's exciting piece. Uh, and what it takes is tremendous pastoral leadership. Folk who, you know, are, are not um, so concerned about who's leading that effort. They trust who's leading the effort mm -hmm. because we have developed relationships with a number of churches that has nothing to do with an organization. Right. You know, nobody's paying dues. Right. <laughs> and uh, we're not looking for anybody to say who the leader, who's no the leader. President, no president, no secretary. None, yeah. of, none of that structure. But one in this community that's open to engaging uh, people wherever they are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, years ago, uh, we did have an organization that was called Working in the Faith Network. And then at that time, we had about 35 pastors who uh, would meet together and do a number of things. And I, till this day, see the impact of that organizing work mm -hmm. uh, where many of these pastors are doing tremendous things. And it could still happen again. Uh, somewhat in a different structure, but if they want to be engaged, we're providing, we're able to provide them with toolkits to be able to do the things that they want to do. It's just a matter of sharing.
what God has blessed us to have or to know or to have ex have experience that could create that kind of environment. As we're moving forward uh, here in, in, in this city and uh, in the statewide elections that are going to be taking place uh, uh, toward the end of the year and then beyond that into the census and the whole idea of redistricting I hope I said that correctly. Um, what role do you think uh, we can play from a social justice standpoint with regard to the very prickly effort of redistricting? So there are a number of workshops that's already going on, and I'm extremely excited about it. I was one. I was at one just the other day that was held at Southern University that had probably about ten or twelve organizations that were actively engaged in it around the census and educating our folk around that. Um, what happens, especially in congregations, uh, in particular in the faith community and a, a lot of organizations, they don't necessarily have all of the, the knowledge that they need um, in, in terms of how do you engage and be able to create that or present that in a way that everybody sees themselves in it and the mm -hmm. benefits of it. Mm -hmm. you know, folks simply ask, and it's not being altruistic, but it's about what's in it for me. Right. Okay. So how do we put that in front of folk? So census, we know in 2020, 2021, we need to be counted. You know what what happens in terms of uh, how much, uh, who gets, how many offices we have at the federal government, state and local, with our legislature and others. But how money is apportioned in our city, yes. the resources for that kind of thing. The other thing is we're talking about gerrymandering. So how are the maps drawn that uh, tend to marginalize us and put us in this one little spot over here right. where you know we only have one African-American person that's representing us in Congress? Right? right. So how do we do that? What folk see about the church and understands outside of the church that the church has yet not yet understood and have an appreciation for is that every Sunday, now the numbers may vary from Sunday to Sunday, but every Sunday you have an audience and no people are not coming to hear about um, the political landscape of what goes on in our community, but the effects of it. Every Sunday there ought to be some preaching or teaching about it or something going on within the week within a congregation yeah. where you can meet the needs of your folk and your folk can be educated and be able to make informative decisions and participate in ways that can actually change what's going on. Yeah. So we have a responsibility to do that. Our preaching needs to change. It needs to grow. Yeah. Uh, I'm so tired of negative preaching and hater preaching. Uh, that, that's much of what I hear these days, and uh, that's not helpful uh, to anybody. It's, it's designed to get somebody to say amen, but it doesn't educate or, or transform anybody uh, as we go forward. We're going to have a wonderful conference here on the 22nd and the 23rd. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm proud that Shiloh is hosting it, and I appreciate uh, to the highest heaven, the work that you continue to do uh, here at Shiloh uh, in social justice with our charitable foundation. Uh, you are one of the pillars that make Shiloh strong, and I greatly appreciate the work that you do here for us and for the larger community. Thank you for being a part of today's uh, uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you for trusting us to be able to do that work. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for watching. We'll be back again next time.